in a moment, uh, our scripture this morning is going to be Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. And I'm going to ask you in a few moments to stand in God's honor. A way of worship and a show of respect to Him, uh, we stand as our scripture reading. But I want to share thoughts for a, a moment uh, before we do that. We have the power force coming in this weekend. They're going to speak Friday night. We'll have a matinee on Saturday and Sunday. And uh, five different times they'll be here. And I believe we'll have a great crowd. My hope is that the place will be packed during each time that they come. But what's on my heart, guys, is... a Well, number one, let me say this. We're going to have fun. And you know what? If there's anybody that should have fun, it should be God's people. There shouldn't be a hold on fun out, you know, outside of God's people. We should have more fun than anybody because we don't wake up with a splitting headache the next day. We can remember and enjoy the fun that we had. We're going to have a good time. But what's even more on my heart? I want us to have a good time, but I want to see God change lives. They're going to come with a, uh, and do some, have some fun, but also with the message of Jesus Christ. And I want us to be praying now. I want us to be fervently praying and expecting God to show up in His power to touch some lives, guys. And, uh, I, I believe that we need to take the prayer side of it very seriously. I have no doubt there'll be people here, but may we pray. May we fervently ask God, to show Himself, to reveal Himself through this great event, to connect to people and to show them we care about them and that what's even more important, Jesus cares about them. And, and what I want to ask is, uh, after we do our scripture reading, um, you know, we have a time to pray. And uh, I want to pray for that event as well. And there may be some of you, if you feel led and you have a burden like I do, to see God move not only in this particular service this morning, but during that time that the power force is here. Uh, I'm going to ask some of you, if God leads you, to come to the altar and pray. Others of you may not feel led to come to the altar, but you can bow your heart right where you are and pray. So I'm going to encourage you to, to do that. But let's uh, give God glory, those who are able, if you'll stand in His honor if you're able. And I want to read from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God's laid on your heart. Will you come to the altar? Others of you pray where you are.
Master, we are weak, but Thou art strong. God, we need You in our lives. We need that touch of Your Spirit among us. Lord, we are Your servants. We humbly ask You to move. Lord, move us from our lethargy, from our laziness. Get a hold of us. Grab our hearts, O Master. God, we pray in this service that You will do a mighty work that's of You. We pray for the power of forces that come, God. We know that You want people to come to this event. I pray now for the ones You want to come, that You will speak to them now, that You will open their hearts, that You will prepare them for what You want to do in their lives, and that You will bring those You want here, that it will be a divine appointment, that it will be part of Your plan, that You'll bring those people that should be here, God. And I pray for those that come, that we'll have a great time, but that You will get a hold of some hearts, God that you will show people Jesus and that they will respond and find life. And God, I I just thank you for your people here at Kingsway. And we want to come in agreement that we want to see Jesus. Master, have your way. And we plead and we beg and we just simply ask that you exalt your name, that you exalt yourself, God, in your word and your way, that Jesus might receive glory through this event, God. I thank you for just this opportunity. Master, we need you and we give you the praise. In the wondrous name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you, guys. I've entitled this message, Trap Between Time and Eternity. Um, We are in eternity but we're trapped in the daily grind of time. <laughs> Thirty times in this book, the word time is used. Uh, years ago, uh, there was a study done in U.S. News and Report, and in that magazine, they broke down the daily grind of time, how we spend our time throughout a life, normal life. Here's the breakdown. Six months of your life is spent sitting at a stoplight. Well, no wonder I get so frustrated when I drive. Uh, Eight months sifting through junk mail. One year looking for misplaced objects. Mine might be higher than that. Uh, Two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. Four years doing housework. Five years waiting in line. Oh man, I hate that. And six years eating. Okay. Uh... If you live to be 70, you'll spend 20 years sleeping, 20 years working, 7 years playing, 5 years getting dressed, 2 and a half years in bed over sickness, and 5 months tying your shoes. What a way to think of life. How it's broke down in those mundane tasks that have to be achieved, that have to be accomplished. Uh, Leslie Weatherhead in his book, Time for God. He, he took a normal day by the hour. And he wrote according to age what time it would be. If you're 15 years old, the time's 1025. If you're 20, the time's 1134. Age 25, it's 1242. At 30, the time is 151. 35, the time's 3 o'clock. At age 40, the time's 408. At 45, it's 516. At age 50, the time is 6.25. At 55, the time is 7.34 p.m. At age 60, the time is 
At age 65, the time is 9.51. And at age 70, the time is 11 o'clock. But none of us know the exact amount of time that we have. And eternity is serious business because we don't know how much time there is upon our own personal clock before we are swept into eternity and moved from time to all time where the Master has no bounds and no limitations that we experience in the daily grind now. I heard about a guy that he went to the doctor for some tests and the doctor called him in afterward and he said, I got some good news and I got some bad news. What do you want to hear first? He said, well, I want to hear the good news. He said, well, the good news is you got 24 hours to live. He said, that's the good news? He said, what's the bad news? I uh, I forgot, I should have told you yesterday. (laughs) You see, you don't know. At any moment, we might meet Jesus. We got to be prepared, guys. We have to be prepared. Now, um, he talks about here in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has set in the hearts of all of us eternity. But I want to go through this list this morning looking at the daily grind of life as life is described. There's 28 activities, 14 positive, 14 negative, And I want to just briefly look at these this morning. Uh, because I have such meaning. We all experience this grind, this life. Verse 2, he says, A time to be born and a time to die. One of the greatest miracles I have ever been able to be a witness to is that of the birth of my kids. I was able to be there when all four were born. What a miracle! Each time it's like, wow. And you know, I can even say it backwards. Wow. And you know, I remember when, when my daughter was born and man, that girl has some healthy lungs. I mean, she really let it out there. Then I remember when my next one was born and guys, he was born mad. And that kid screamed and screamed and screamed. And then I remember when the next one was born, you know, it says count your fingers and toes. Well, he had 11 fingers. And then I remember when the next one was born, uh, one of my other kids was sick. Lydia wanted us to wake her up, and she woke up and waited for us to take her, and we didn't take her. Went in to get a little Daniel. What a joy that was, a time to be born, uh, a miracle, and then a time to die. Death can come in a moment. We don't. People die different ways. The only thing that we do know is that that's part of life. Death is part of life. We may not choose the moment we're born, but we can let God speak to our hearts when He calls upon us to be born a second time, to be born anew, to be made a new person in Christ. And it may be this morning as you hear this message that God will get a hold of your heart as you think about the daily grind, as you think about uh, the, just time. That He wants you to be part of His family. To enter in, to be born anew. And uh, I pray you respond to that if God speaks. Next, uh, He says here, a time to plan and a time to uproot. Any farmer knows that there is a proper time to plant seed. You don't want to plant a bunch of seed in the middle of a snowstorm. That's nuts. 
And there's a time to turn the soil to prepare for the next season. There's so much work that goes into planting. So much work into preparing for a harvest. Then he says there's a time to kill. And there is a time to heal. There's a time for self-defense. Quite frankly, when that guy went crazy at Fort Hood, self-defense was certainly needed to be used. Time to heal. Someone has said that every seven years, all the cells in our body are replaced. They're new ones. God has beautifully engineered this body that He's given us. As we go through times of sickness and times of healing, and and the master healer who's in charge brings healing to our bodies. It says, um, there's a time to tear down, and there's a time to build. Man, one of the neatest things, have you ever seen on TV in the cities, in these big skyscrapers, and and when it comes, I've seen on TV where they actually set explosives. So it's almost, you know, like a, these domino buildings or something that just fall, bam, you know, they explode and then one after the other, how they set up and say, man, that is so cool. The, the demolition's able to take place. But it takes place for a reason, so that new things can be placed there. New buildings can go up. There's a reason for the demolition. And part of life, man, once you're born, you get to a certain point and we start going downhill as we prepare for eternity. Uh, someone has said that the ultimate peak of the body is 19. Man, if, if you're older than 19, you're headed downhill, guys. <laughs> and these bodies of ours are headed downhill. You know, once you hit that middle age, uh, print gets smaller. Steps get bigger. People talk softer. And I'm afflicted. That's the worst part about it all. Um... But there is a time where we know of the body tearing down. And a time to build. He says here, a a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to dance. Um, I remember uh, in my dad's generation, that old song, Big Boys Don't Cry. There was a feeling that, you know, it was a sign of weakness to show emotion. And uh, I never heard my dad, when I was young, say, I love you. I don't remember seeing him cry. Man, I don't even remember seeing the guy. I don't even remember him saying something hurts. I remember seeing him go to work with a flu. And I remember one time, he had a kidney stone. And he said, son, that hurts. And I thought, man, that must really hurt. Because I'd never heard him say, son, that hurts. You know? And I'll never forget, he, um, I was an adult, seeing I were married, and um, I never forget on the phone one time. Because I always said, I, I was different, man. Every time I talked to you know my folks, I'd always try something like, I got the phone, I love you. And I'll never forget, one time I said, Dad, I love you. And he said, I love you too, son. I thought, what? But he did. That is not a sign of weakness, by the way, guys. That is not feminine, but I think that's real masculinity. It's it's not masculine not to be able to express your emotions. Emotions aren't meant to control us, but they're also not meant to be totally repressed. It's part of who we are. There is a time to weep. There is a time to show emotion. And there's a time to laugh. Man, praise God for that. And if you're a part of the Kingsway family, you've got to have a tough hide. 
I'm just telling it like it is. There's some guys around here that can be just, they can really lay you low. Playing. I loved it. In the right way, it's good to be able to laugh and to joke. To be able to pour out your heart. <laughs> I love it. And that's one thing I love around here. That I can have fun with you guys. That's a blessing. It's a blessing sent from God. I believe that. Time to dance. Uh, we were playing games last night and Lydia said, Dad, Dad, dance, dance. So he's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Why? Because I was born with a um, lack of rhythm. <laughs> Please don't embarrass the family. <laughs> but it's not a matter of how good we look when we do it. It's an expression of joy that is inside of us that needs to come out. Don't worry, I will not dance and... Uh, it says here, the next one here, it says a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. You know, in Scripture it says that if, if they will not praise the Lord, even the rocks will cry out. <laughs> There's an old legend that uh, God gave a bunch of stones up in heaven to an angel and said, scatter these on the earth, and that the angel tripped and they all fell into Israel because <laughs> there's so many rocks and stones there. Well, I believe a few of them must have fell back here at Kingsway. Have you ever looked out there in our yard back there? Man, a lot of rock and a lot of stone. But a time for the stones to build up walls according to ancient scriptures and a time for them to be removed in the land so the land can be used for other purposes. Uh, then it says here, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to give that hug, to say goodbye. A time to refrain from it. I read a story as I was studying this about a young couple. They wanted to plan to get married, didn't have a lot of money. He was studying to be an engineer, and so he took a two-year apprenticeship over in Ireland. And uh, he went over there, and quite frankly, uh, his girl was really worried because there were a lot of pretty Irish lasses over there. And so she told him, she said, you need to be true to me. I don't want you fooling around. He goes, okay. He says, I have only eyes for you, honey. So she sent him this package in the mail and had a harmonica in it. And she said, I want you to practice this harmonica every night so you'll have something to do so you won't be tempted by those pretty Irish lasses. And wrote her back and said, honey, I only have eyes for you. I'm practicing this thing every night. Says, I have to admit, I am tempted at times, but you're the only one I love. Well, those two years went by. He flies back to Tennessee to see his sweetie. He is so excited. He's got money. They can pull their resources together, get married, buy a house, start the happy life. He comes in. He's all excited. He sees her. He runs over there to hug her. And she goes, stop! And he goes, what is it, honey? He says, before the hugging and kissing gets started, I want to see you play that harmonica. <laughs> a time to embrace. Uh, next one here. A time to search and a time to give up. Letting go can be very difficult. As I've shared many times, I believe that we are all control freaks to some degree. We want to control life. We want to control our schedules. We have our opinion and we think God needs to sign the bottom of it. 
The problem is, our opinion is not always God's will. We like to be in charge. We like to be in control. But there has to be a time to let go, even when we don't like it. Matter of fact, we have an exaggerated understanding of what we know. Sometimes we don't know near as much as we think we know. And we want to fool everybody else and even ourselves that we know when we don't. It's kind of funny. As as I was studying this, I read about a guy, he had actually won a lottery. It was a Spanish lottery. And they asked him how he won. He said, well, I had this dream every night. He said, for for, uh, a week, for seven days, I dreamed the number seven. He said, I knew the number, the last two digits of the number had to be 48 because I dreamed seven nights the number was seven and seven times seven is 48. No, 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 no. Control. Learning to let go. Learning to give up. Next he says, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Are any of you guys here pack rats? Anybody guilty of that? Uh, You know, I know sometimes you're thinking, well, I might need it someday. Problem is, you get so much stuff, you don't know where it is. You know, it gets lined up. Uh... I saw some of these. I couldn't. I said, these are cute. I got to share some of these. Uh, these are called true tightwad tales of people that just had to hang on to stuff. One lady said, my hubby and I were at the store the night before Valentine's Day picking up kids' treats. We were in the card lane, and he handed me a sweet, mushy card and said, here, read this, and I can put it back. It's two seventy nine. She said, I just looked at him and just started laughing. Another guy said, uh, I've got a golfing buddy that's so cheap and he's a millionaire that he saves his dental floss and reuses it. In his defense, he points out you pull apart 18 inches, but you only use 6 inches. He puts the floss on a nail in his garage, saves it to be used again once it's dried out. And here's one, he says, I had a friend who only used one light bulb at a time in his house. (laughs) It was in the porch light socket when I arrived. He moved it to the table lamp while we talked. (laughs) When I had to use the restroom, he unscrewed it and told me to take it with me so I'd have some light. Mm -mm. Here's the last one. Imagine my surprise when after we all finished the salad at Grandma's house, she scooped up the remaining dressing from the bottom of our bowls and put it back in the bottle. Alright, there's enough word picture there. Move on here. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is from Psalm 139, verse 22. An ancient song of King David. Talking about his enemies, he said, I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. There are some things, I think there are some things that's a righteous indignation and anger that is deserved. For example, with William Wilberforce, he spent his whole life longing to see slavery abolished. And If you've ever seen that movie Amazing Grace, it has that great rendition of Amazing Grace from Chris Tomlin. I love that song. He spent his life, he spent his energy, and there were many defeats... But his one goal was people should be free. They shouldn't be slaves. And he had a hatred for slavery and he had a passion for that to be changed. And so did Abraham Lincoln. 
And there are, are some things that we're to hate because it hurts people. It destroys people. And, and, and God says it needs to be changed. It needs to stop. That's a time to hate. And of course a time to love. How crucial that is. A time for war. Sometimes there's tyrants and the only way to deal with tyrants is through war. Um, as we move down through here, he says in uh, verse 9 and 10, What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on them. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Guys, uh, as I come through this message, we spent so much time talking about the daily grind, the stuff life is made of that um, Solomon talks about here. But the truth is we want to move beyond the daily grind to eternity that is set in the heart. You see, medical science can add years to your life, but only Jesus can add life to your years. He is the one that adds real life. He said eternity in the heart and you don't understand life until you encounter the living Lord. Until you're changed by His resurrection power. Until He lives in you and forgives you. Until He's Lord. Until the Savior forgives. That's life. I heard of a little boy who uh, he's just driving his dad nuts. And so his dad found a picture of the world in this magazine. He tore out the picture and he cut it up in little pieces and he handed it to his little boy and he said, here, put this together. He said, we'll play as soon as you get it put together. Well, he got it put together in like two minutes. My dad's like, what? He says, son, how did you get the world together so quickly? And he turned it over. He taped it together. The little boy turned it over and he said, there was a picture of a man praying to Jesus. And he said, well, Dad, it was easy. He said, once you get the man and Jesus together, the world fits. The world fits when we give our hearts to Jesus Christ. As I close, I want to use the example of Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament and the book of Genesis, the book of Beginnings? He was a guy, quite frankly, everybody talks about Joseph, the picture of Christ in the Old Testament. When I first read about the guy, he looks like a spoiled brat. I mean, he's got this fancy garment he wears, and he has these dreams, and his brothers look at him and say, Joseph, Joseph, how's it going? And Joseph says, you know, I had this dream, you guys are going to be bowing down to me. And they get mad. Hey, look, in my house, I see... Well, fine. You know, one time if you had a brother or sister, if they said, I'm going to be in charge, what would you say? Bam! Probably. Uh, you know, that's just the way we are. They are jealous. They're upset. They throw him in this pit. He's sold into slavery. Joseph ends up in this place and he lives for God. He does what's right. He lives in this guy's house named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife notices that he's a hunk. <laughs> And she goes after him, and he goes, No, God, no, God, I need your help. God, help me. And God helps him. But one day she gets too close, and he goes, I've had enough of this, and runs. Smart guy. Takes off running. Ends up in jail because he did the right thing. 
Ends up there for a while, uh, helps some people, interprets some dreams, has to spend more time in jail. Just looks like everything's going wrong for Joseph. Looks like his life is falling apart. Looks like time's not being kind or fair to him. That life is a waste and that you ought to just be a pessimist because it just stinks. But God had a plan. And as we read through the life of Joseph, we discover that God was engineering circumstances like pieces of a puzzle. And you don't see the whole puzzle when you just have a piece or two. But once the puzzle's put together, you see it clearly. And then Joseph rose up to be all-powerful in Egypt. Next to Pharaoh, he was the guy. He called the shots. And there was this famine and, and people were starving and so did Joseph's family. And Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to get food, to be taken care of. And Joseph saw them. They didn't recognize Joseph. And it says, uh, turn me to Genesis 45. A series of circumstances happened. Joseph didn't reveal himself to his brothers. Uh, Man, they were upset because uh, they thought they were in big trouble because of some circumstances that had, that had occurred. And I'll read to you starting uh, in verse 1 of chapter 45. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, I bet, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your life by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Man, what a story. What happened to Joseph? He took some hard knocks. He he could have easily just said, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. He could have given up. He could have been a total cynic. But he held on to the fact that God loved him. And, it, and then he came to a place when he saw his brothers, he said, God was working out something bigger. Something we didn't understand at the time. You didn't understand, I didn't understand, but he had a plan. He wanted to use my life for his glory and he placed me here to save you, to save many lives. And guys, as you look at your life, maybe you didn't get the breaks that you think you deserved. Maybe some stuff has happened to you that's, that's, that's hurt you and it's made you cynical, but your life's not over yet. The mundane, daily grind of life may be wearing on you as we've read through this list, but understand that God has set within your heart eternity. 
And guys, He loves you. You're His kid. And He wants to use you for His glory. And He's more likely using you a lot more than you have any clue. Just hold on to the Lord. Trust in God. Look to Him for your strength. And understand He's with you. See? He's got a bigger plan than than we can often see. And I love this about Joseph, that he was able to understand this. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, as I close, I want you to turn to chapter 50 here. I'll make one final point here. You know, the brothers really dealt with some guilt. It's, it's kind of interesting. You have this contrast. You have Joseph, all this stuff happened to Joseph. Yet he continued to trust God and he continued to look to God. God rose him to a position of prominence and he used him. His brothers obviously dealt with guilt because of what they had done to Joseph. And Joseph said, it's okay, I forgive you. And they didn't totally buy it. Let me show you. Chapter 50, down at verse 15. Uh, Here's the situation. Their father died and uh, everybody. uh, it's time for the funeral. And I want you to see Joseph's brother's responses. Uh, Starting at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. (laughs) I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. He already did that, guys. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He just said the same thing back again he had said earlier. He says, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now guys, as I close this, as I think about this daily grind, as I think about eternity, God is in the business of reconciliation. He takes what's broken and He fixes it. He's the mender. He's the healer. And in a very practical term, He wants to heal us for heaven. He forgives us of our sin. He makes us new. He restores relationships so that when we're there in glory, guys, it'll be like it's meant to be. Stuff will be right. But for now, He wants stuff right here. And and so as I close this, I believe there may be some of you that has... Some problems in your family. Relationships that are not right. And God says, this needs to be reconciled. The two parties that are apart need to come together. And let me tell you something. We talk about wanting to see God. We want to talk about revival. But God says, I'm not going to do that as long as you hold on to bitter feelings, as long as you're not willing to forgive and to trust and and to, uh, to... Put your heart toward me. You're not going to experience His power or His revival. None of us are. We have to learn to forgive. Joseph had done that. The brothers didn't. They were afraid he hadn't, but he did. What about you?
We've talked about the daily grind. We've talked about life. But there's more. There's eternity. A true sign of eternity in your heart. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't tell if you know Jesus or not. But I'll tell you a big indicator. A big sign that God really lives in your heart. That you have forgiven. Have you forgiven? Do you know His forgiveness? It's there through Jesus. Let's pray. Master, as we come to You, we're all a mess. (laughs) You know me, God. You know I'm just a sinner that needs a Savior. But You died on that cross. You rose from the grave. You sit at the right hand of the Father. And You're my hope. (laughs) And You put up with my mess, God. That's true for all of us, God. Search our hearts. Help us be honest before you grab a hold of us, Lord. If there's business that needs to be dealt with this morning, have your way, Master. May we respond to you, the Holy One. God, eternity is about forgiveness, about being made right. And Lord, thank you for that through Jesus. Among relationships here, Have your way, Lord. We need you. We love you. Lord Jesus, speak. In your name we pray. Amen.